Hello, everyone, and welcome to Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray and myself and our distinguished guests questions, and we'll try to answer live in real time. And use hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong, CEO and founder of Constellation Research, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and ZDNet, and one of the best follows on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray. Hey, thanks a lot. And I'm joined here with my co-host, Bala Afshar. And if you haven't followed him at the Huffington Post or on Twitter, you're missing out. He's one of the top CIO, CMO, both influencers in the marketplace. And I just found out yesterday, I didn't realize you are a patent holder. You even have your own patent as well as a distinguished author. So welcome to the show, everyone. Who do we have today? Who do we start with? You want to talk about crazy looking background there. We've got one of the most influential people in media and social Mark Feidelman, CEO of Fanatics Media, is our first guest. Mark uh, is the CEO of Fanatics Media, a full-service digital marketing agency with a focus on B2B and B2C influencer marketing. Mark has been named 2016 Top 20 Influencers of CMOs by Forbes Magazine, a Top 25 Social Media Keynote Speaker by Inc. Magazine, and a Huffington Post Top 50 Most Social CEO. Last time I saw him, he was chatting it up with Mark Cuban and, uh, and other incredibly influential business leaders. Mark writes uh, the socialized and mobilized columns for Forbes and is the author of the book Socialized. He also hosts a popular marketing YouTube channel at YouTube slash Fanatics Media. His experience includes more than two decades of technology sales, marketing, and customer experience with several Fortune 100 companies. His book, Socialized, regarded as the playbook for building a social business. The book has been endorsed by companies like IBM, Microsoft, Salesforce, and SAP. He's globally recognized thought leader on the subjects of social business, mobile business. He has interviewed hundreds of global uh, 3,000 CXOs and speaks and writes regularly about the impact on today's business. Another incredible follow on Twitter. You can follow Mark at Mark Feidelman, M-A-R-K-F-I-D-E-L-M-A-N. Welcome, Mark, to Disrupt TV. Thanks, Vala. There's nobody that compares to you on Twitter, though, especially in the B2B space. So I'll just <laughs> let that be known. <laughs> I appreciate it. You're too kind. You're too kind. He is crushing it. I, I definitely have to say, I mean, watch his follower count from the last two years. It's like a doubling explosion from like 100 to 200. So we'll have to, we'll have to embarrass follower. But, but on your end, though, look, this B2B influencer marketing game keeps changing, right? And what are the hot trends? What makes the influencers influential? You've been studying this for almost a decade. What, what makes them influential? Well, I mean, at least on the B2B side, it's being an expert right? And really knowing your stuff and then be able to talk about it at a high level, but then break it down individual individual steps so that people can repeat what it is that you're doing. I mean, those are the people that I tune into, you know, guys like yourself and Vala who really know how to distill what's going on, looking forward and saying, hey, you guys should be paying attention to this. Like, I think if you're a B2B organization, you should have a show like Disrupt TV. Now, I have some some advice for you guys, and I know you're going to ask me that a little bit later, but this is the type of medium that's going to take over in the next five years. Got it. But hey, what I really want to know is, like, what, what do influencers do to stand out? Like, there's stuff people used to do five years ago that no longer works anymore, 
right? What, what's important to you? Like, what are you looking for? And how do you know someone is really an influencer? Actually, there's a really funny thing going on with like, who's a top CMO or influencer or not. It's kind of funny discussion if you've been watching the sidelines on Twitter. But my point being is, who's really an influencer? Well, I mean, this is a very, you know, very uh, interesting subject. When you talk about B2B, who's really an influencer? I mean, those are the people that whenever they say something, whether it's on video, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's in a blog, there are a lot of reactions and there are people that follow these individuals because they produce conversations that everybody's talking about the next day. That's it. It's the conversations. The conversations. Okay. Absolutely. I remember, Mark, the first time I met you, you reached out to me and you said that, uh, you know, you found out based on my, it may have been Twitter stream or, or blogs that I was working with uh, Internet of Things technology at a networking company. And you came in person to meet with me to learn about IoT and the enterprise. And at the time, I was in a technology company providing infrastructure to, to B2B companies around the world. What impressed me most is the, the volume and the depth of questions that you threw at me. <laughs> I recall, I think it ended up being a two, three hour meeting. And I found that you had this unquenchable thirst for understanding use cases uh, in terms of how to imp implement IoT to get business outcomes. You were interested in the algorithms that we were developing to capture the insights. And I just felt like, you know, I've, I've had as much deep conversation about IoT and business with you as I had with my coworkers inventing the technology. And then you ended up writing about the story, and I really appreciated that. But my sense is that your method of influencing is, as you said, really becoming a deep subject matter expert and proactively reaching and connecting with experts and really making sure that you understand not only their vision, but what they're doing right now to, to achieve results. Is that, is that a fair assessment of how you go about you know, learning and then influencing your, your network? Yeah, I mean, I like to learn from other experts and then kind of distill it into what I'm seeing and then roll it out with uh, with my clients and customers. And uh, by the way, one of the main reasons I, I wanted to meet with you face-to-face -face is because you had machines talking to other machines, and that just blew me away. I could not believe that you had machines talking to other machines, kind of the precursor uh, to AI. Actually, it probably was AI at the time. And that's the patent that I actually received February of this year. So, yeah, no, I really appreciate you uh, covering that because, as you recall, in 2000, that was 2011, and uh, not a lot of folks were talking about AI and IoT back then. So, so we, were, uh, we were definitely onto something. <laughs> right, yeah. And uh, you're five years before your time. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Ray. Oh, sorry. I'm uh, cut out. Oh, I don't know. If we have. It seems like Ray is not able to uh, join. Ah, we're this? back. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm back. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so back to this influencing piece that we're talking about. There's a lot around paid versus earned versus it, what? What's the right mix right now? What, what do people care about? Well, I mean, people still want and like organic. I see it in the comments. I see it in the likes. If you're paying for content, you know, and you can do it really, really well on Facebook, even on YouTube, you can do it pretty well. Yeah. If you look at organic versus paid, and we do both, uh, organic is going to give you the better engagement. And the simple reason is, is because that organic traffic is there because they're either following the influencer or they're very interested in the subject matter by because they search for it. 
if you pay for it, you're basically throwing this piece of this influencer and their content in front of the the user. So it's you know it's it could turn into engaging content or it might not. You know, Facebook is constantly trying to learn what is engaging, what's not, and then show show of that show more of that content to people that uh, are engaging with it. But it's it's more hit or miss. So organic definitely is the best, but it's getting harder and harder to get organic traffic on some of these platforms. Oh yeah, definitely, absolutely. So we, we, we talked about expertise, we talked about being a connector. Uh, we also hear often uh, the word authenticity used as we try to be, establish a trusted advisor or a trusted voice, whether it's on social or other outlets. What advice do you have and how do you define, let, let's start with defining authenticity uh, and, and what advice do you have for people to try to you know, create content that educates and inspires and ultimately ignites action? whether it's in b2c or b2b well by the way you, you said that uh we're living in the we might be all living in the matrix well elon musk actually thinks we are which is interesting <laughs> that's right i saw that i saw that so, so is he uh, neo or what's going on <laughs> i don't know i mean he's trying to prove it some i think a billionaire is spending a ton of money to try to prove that we are actually living in a virtual reality environment right now <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see what happens so so virtual reality in a virtual reality is like super meta right that's i mean that's stuff i mean <laughs> Now, our heads are going to explode if we go down this path, but uh, that's what he believes is happening. So back to authenticity. <laughs> you know, it's really challenging because I, I do a show called Big Campaigns, and we, we try to break down campaigns that marketers are running, and I really try to break them down. But a lot of the people that I talk to are stuck at this corporate level, and they've got four or five PR people surrounding them off camera, and they're not allowed to really talk about what really happened, what went wrong. It's only positive, right? Which, you know, there's some value to that. But I think more often than not, especially in the business world, we're craving authenticity. Hey, we know your campaign didn't go perfectly. Tell us what, was, what went wrong with it. And a lot of people are still stuck because, and, and I'm talking to executives primarily, because the PR team or the stockholders or you know some lawyers behind the scenes saying, hey, you can't say that, you can't say this, that kind of defeats the authenticity bond that you may or may not have with your customers. So oh, yeah. Yeah. B2C, it's a lot easier. When, when we work with B2C influencers, that's why they became influential is because they were very authentic, they were real, they were entertaining, and people crave that. I'd like to see more of it in uh, the business to business space, but I'm, I'm just not, we're just not there yet. Roy and I uh, hosted an event last night and we kicked off an event with a fireside chat with a Boston business leader, Rob Hale. He's the owner of the Celtics and the Boston Cannons lacrosse team. And we start talking about the fact that he's a billionaire and right now he's, you know, a CEO and founder of a multi-billion dollar company. And I'm expecting him to talk about success and you know, incredible growth. And he starts the conversation with his first company going bankrupt and all the lessons he learned from that. Amazing. He had to pivot and reinvent himself and his business. And then he became the seventh most uh, affluent person in Massachusetts. Um, so the authenticity and the vulnerability and the, sh the stories of failure that he shared with us was as inspiring as his incredible success where today he owns two pro teams in Boston. I definitely got to connect you to him because I think you'll find he's one of the most authentic people Ray and I have met in the B2B space in a long time. Would you agree, Ray? Oh my God, it was, it was an amazing story. The, the humility, um, what he went through, like the life lessons that he's learned, 
the way he hires for people that have gone through failure. I think those are all very cool points. So that was just pretty I, wild. I will only meet him at center court during the next Celtics game. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's a good. Uh, yeah, I want to. I'd like to join you and, and tweet your conversation. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, Such low I'm standards, talking. guys. Such low standards. I, I, I can't believe it. <laughs> hey, if, it's, if he's really that authentic, let's get authentically involved in the game itself. <laughs> he's amazing. He's amazing. Now, speaking of authenticity and leadership, let's talk about technology that could potentially pull you away from that personal touch and authenticity, and that being artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence in the context of bots. What are your thoughts in terms of influencer marketing when we're going to think about, as Ray says, mass personalization at scale, having that contextual intelligence being driven by AI? This is one of my favorite subjects, uh, by the way. And, you know, I've had, just recently had a discussion with Brian Kramer, who I love. He's got a book called Human H to H, which is human to human. And I said, well, what about A to H, you know, uh, artificial intelligence to, to human? And his point was, there's still human beings behind it. And uh, so that, that made me kind of think about, you know, this question is, what is going to transpire with AI and specifically with bots as we go forward? But what we're doing now and what we're seeing today is that bots, at least on Facebook and Slack and some of these other platforms, are just a big, long, what if, choose your own adventure type of thing where a human is putting all of those things in place. The AI, if there is any, is in the background doing research and surfacing things it thinks it might be. There's a probability that it might be interesting either to the person engaging the bot or to somebody that's managing the bot. So at this stage, I don't think it's true AI. I mean, depends on how you define it. But I think in two years, in five years, I don't believe it'll replace humans necessarily. It's just going to pick up a lot of the slack, pardon the pun, of some of the menial things that you know bots are probably better enabled for. Let me give you an example. Uh, so like, let's say you have a, a pretty crystal clear sales prequal process. Well, why are you having salespeople that are only working eight hours a day, prequal people, you know, uh, that, 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 that they're being asked the same eight questions. Why don't you do that 24-7, seven days a week with a bot that doesn't take vacations, never has HR complaints, and uh, you know doesn't need to be paid? Right. The answer is pretty obvious to me. It won't, it won't be unionized either, I think. <laughs> well, let's hope not. <laughs> let's hope not. So the answer is pretty obvious to me that a lot of that work will be you know moved over to bots. Now, in terms of marketers, now this is Gartner talking. Marketers have a 97% chance of not being replaced. So I'm going to hold on to that metric. I think <laughs> AI will help identify what messages are working and what's not and make us better marketers. Because a lot of a lot of times we're throwing stuff up against the wall and to see if it sticks or we're copying other people. Yeah. But I still believe humans will be behind this for at least for the foreseeable future. Wow, a vote for the humans. So what, what, what trends in AI are st sticking out for you? Because everybody says they're doing AI, um, and we're not sure if they are really doing AI. So what, what trends are actually working in the marketplace? So, so first of all, I have yet to see a legitimate case of somebody creating an artificial intelligence program that passes the Turing test. I know there's, there's claims that are out there. I, I haven't seen a legitimate test so far. But the trends are... 
let's move more towards a situation where you don't know if it's a bot or not, or it's AI or not, but it's not there to kind of interrupt you. It's there to kind of help you. Hmm. So you're going to see in the next year, I mean, I've got a big infographic. I don't know, Vala, if you've put this out on your Twitter channel, but all of the companies that are going after the AI space and all what they're doing, it's kind of broken into segments. It's a very cool infographic. There's like 2,000 companies that are, that are approaching the space. Yeah. And you've got to bet that there's going to be you know, 10, 20, 30 maybe that actually have a breakthrough that's going to help us as human beings. So the, the trends, I think, is we're trying everything right now. And eventually, we're going to find a situation where there's it's true AI, where you don't know whether it's a human or not. But it's there not to interrupt us. It's there to support us. Yeah, PricewaterCooperhouse framed it into three models, assistive intelligence, augmented intelligence, and autonomous. And autonomous, they reference, like NASDAQ today, I think 75% of trades are done without any human intervention, fully autonomous. Uh, and in most businesses, in the next few years, there'll be more augmented intelligence, where you go through, as Ray points out, the discovery, uh, prediction, recommendation, and then, again, mass personalization at scale. Yeah, that infographic is about, it's about 2,000. I think it's 800 and so, and they fetched about 16.3 billion in VC funding in the last couple of years. And that trajectory will yeah. soon cross 2,000 any day now. So, yeah. so it's pretty amazing. More and more, Ray and I saw this yesterday. We had, we had the Patriots, the Celtics, the Red Sox, the Cannons. We had a City of Champions digital summit yesterday. And all of them were talking about voice and how they're really bullish on voice. The Patriots believe that, you know, how you engage with Siri and Alexa and Google Home yeah. and others, that's how you're gonna engage with the Pats. And so they're, they're investing in companies that are gonna bring voice as a new UI. And for your in-stadium in experience, as well as you wanna purchase tickets, you just, you know, you go to your Echo and you say, get me courtside seat Celtics. And, and all of that is taken care of, and, 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 and so the entire transaction is voice activated. So, Conversation so, as a service. Have you guys used Alexa, Siri, and all of them and asked it anything but a, a, a simple question? I mean, it, it still has a long way to go, I think. It, it does. But, you know, May last year, Echo had about 300 skills, and they're approaching 15,000 skills now. So I it's, think the, the trajectory is pretty, pretty incredible. Oh, I agree. I think we'll get there eventually. For sure. Well, you know, you should, at every podcast, you should be saying, buy my book. Alexa, buy my book. Alexa, check out. You'll be fine. It's good. It's how you get to like a bestseller status. I'm best-selling authors here, so I'm sure you guys know how to do it. So. No, but, uh, but yeah. no, hey, um, real quick, we've got about 30 more seconds. Hey, you recently talked about how to create a web TV show. Any advice to us? Like, what's a good thing to do? It's kind of hot. I mean, people are following you for that. And, you know, what, what's, behind, what's behind the scenes of a good web TV show? Well, uh, do you want me to talk specifically about yours or just in general? No, no, just in general. We'll, we'll take our advice off the air. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, um, I think this is the hottest thing going. There's a lot of businesses that are afraid to tap into this. But if you've got a show and you're bringing on guests and those guests are your potential customers, uh, good chance that those, those potential customers are going to turn into customers. That's what I found personally. Mm -hmm. So I think, first of all, you should have a show. Now, what makes a good show? You know, a good beginning, a good ending, a great host. It's got to be somewhat entertaining. You know, it, you don't have to be a clown. You don't have to be funny. You don't. It doesn't have to be a comedy show. You got to make sure that the, the guests you're bringing on, or if it's just you solo, like Philip DeFranco, you guys should look him up if you haven't seen him on YouTube. 
They've right. got a message. They're delivering it passionately, and they are entertaining in their own way. It's not comedy or being funny. It's just bam, 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 right? Here's what's going on in the industry. Here's why you need to be concerned. Here's why you solve it, that type of thing. So the show, you got to think like TV and make sure that it captures people's attention for a long period of time. Fortunately, YouTube gives you those analytics so you can see what your audience retention is. There's probably a hundred little things that you need to do to make a good web TV show. And that reminds me, I got to put something out like that. Uh, yeah. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Check, so check it out. Check out Mark Feidelman. We're talking to him, CEO at Fanatics Media, um, massive influencer. And of course, check him out on Twitter at Mark F-I-D-E-L-A-M-A-N. And you can definitely see the uh, piece around you know web TV shows and, and what, what to do and what not to do. Thanks for being on the show, man. My pleasure. Thank you much. Talk to you. You know, I find Mark to be not only authentic, but super generous. Uh, yes. There have been times where I've reached out to him for advice. He always makes himself available. And speaking of generosity, authenticity, and most importantly, influence, uh, our next guest is John Ferraro, CEO at Nimble. John has been recognized for pioneering innovation in the customer management category in CRM. Prior to being a founder of Nimble, John was the creator and co-founder of an award-winning customer management product called Goldmine. And in 1999, uh, Goldmine was acquired by FrontRange, and John left to pursue other interests. Now, during those years, he continued to watch the CRM market, and what he witnessed was that most CRM products that were serving small businesses moved up market and uh, fell by the wayside in terms of servicing uh, small, medium businesses and, and essentially leaving the market underserved. And it was at that point, John decided to create the next generation CRM product for small business, and that was the birth of Nimble. He's one of the most social CEOs and has been recognized as one of the most social CEOs on Twitter and many other platforms. An incredible follow on Twitter at J-O-N underscore F-E-R-R-A-R-A. Welcome, John, to Disrupt TV. Well, Val and Ray, I'm super excited to be here with you both today. Any chance that I can get to inspire and educate others about how they might achieve their passion, plan, and purpose in life is an exciting moment for me because I think we're on this planet to help other people grow. And I think that if you can find ways to help other people grow at scale, you could build a gold mine. And I kind of know that I did. <laughs> ah, darn, I told you, no product placements. No, product placements. <laughs> no. But hey, anyways, you know, you, you, we all started in the social business era, right? Let's put our heads back somewhere in 2007, 2008, things were happening. Social was just starting to take off, right? And we're still talking about it. So let me ask you a very, very sensitive question. Is social business dead or is it resurrected under a different name? Or, or what is it at the moment? You know, Ray, the, the thing is about social, it's just like when the internet first started. Do you remember when everything was I this and E that, E toys and I Cyber, baby. Cyber. Right? <laughs> and, and now nobody talks about the internet. It's just is there, right? It's like the plumbing in your, in your house. When you turn on the faucet, you don't think about the recirculation pipes and the boilers and all that. You just turn the water on and expect it to run. Social, when it first came out, was this brand new thing. People thought it was a new way to communicate. It's going to revolutionize the world. And in many respects, it did. Because I think what it did is it changed the way that we work and play, the way that we communicate, the way that customers make buying decisions, and the ways that companies need to engage those customers 
But the bottom line is that it's moved from social business to just back to business because social is just another channel of communication that you must use because if you are not listening and engaging on the channels that your customers are communicating on, you're dead today. I've got one word for you, blockbuster. So, <laughs> so it's a must do, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's just we've got lots of channels. You have to be in this channel or else yeah. you're, you're totally yeah. out of it. I mean, today they talk about social selling. Please. Business sales has always been social. People buy from people they like, know, and trust. And so social is the way that business has been run since the beginning of time. It's just that social is a new way of having conversations on different channels, but it's the same protocol. So all the lessons that Ziggler, Dale Carnegie, Napoleon L, Brian Tracy, all those people taught, today Dale people Carnegie. are just regurgitating these ideas but labeling social on top of it. So basically, social is gonna disappear from the vocabulary and it's just gonna be back to simple business. But what I do believe is that sales is gonna transform from that four letter dirty word to a service because I truly believe that sales is a service. Sure, absolutely. I reminded an audience, uh, we had a digital summit event that Blockbuster in 2000 had an opportunity to buy Netflix for 50 million. <laughs> and we walked away from the deal. Uh, of course. Seems pricey at the time. I mean, yeah. uh, <laughs> what a known. Yeah. And today they're what, 72 billion market cap. So anyway, uh, yeah, you, uh, you have to seize the opportunity, with, but it requires a little bit of foresight. No, so, but, but John, you know, what you talked about some great management gurus that talked about the importance of collaboration and being interested and, 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 and uh, customer facing. Um, but but I know plenty of people that are social in terms of they're, they're inviting, they're humble, they have a beginner's mindset, but they're not actively social, leveraging modern platforms and social networks. Um, how do you, what advice do you have for individuals that you know are good people, they're smart, they're, they're, they're generous, but they still haven't, you know, engaged on digital channels scaling their ability to reach and connect and help uh, you know others grow well i think that if you're not walking out into the middle of the social river today and beginning to listen and more importantly engage in a relevant and authentic pay it forward way you're going to disappear from this world again blockbuster the thing is is that today if you are sitting there inside of a building inside of a company and expecting people to walk in that door where that bell rings ding 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 somebody's at the door you're, you're not going to make it. So what you need to do is you need to digitally get into the social river and begin to have conversations to set yourself up as a trusted advisor so that you're not talking about your products and services. You're talking about how you might help other people become better, smarter, faster. And if you do that, people will then pick up the phone and call you. So essentially, if you're listening to this today and you have not created a basic brand on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and ideally something like Instagram as well, with an avatar and a bio that talks about how you might serve others and begin to share content on a daily basis and not just content about your products and services. Stop talking about your products and services. Nobody cares. Start talking about how you might help other people grow. And look, if you want to learn about what you should do on social, follow Vala. Because all Vala does on a daily basis is inspire and educate. And the beautiful thing about what you do is exactly what other people should do is don't just talk about products and business. Talk about your passion, plan, and purpose in life. Talk about things that are close to your soul. Open up your heart, roll up your sleeves, and share things that 
what I call the five F's of life, family, friends, food, fun, and fellowship. These are the things that we connect on, those softer things. And so if you think that connecting with somebody on LinkedIn is going to build a relationship, you're freaking stupid. Because LinkedIn is like walking oh, in my on. business lobby. Yes, LinkedIn is like walking into my business lobby. It's my business persona. But if you want to learn about John Ferrar, spend five seconds on my Instagram. You're going to learn about what I am passionate about. And so today, this is what Vala does on a daily basis. He shares inspiration, what he's passionate about, and it's not just business stuff. And if you do that, it's like dropping fishing lures off of your boat. But then what happens is people are going to bite. And this is the most important advice I can give, not just build the personas and drop the fishing lures, but when people bite, you need to identify people that matter, reach out and build relevant, authentic, paired forward relationships that result in you becoming their trusted advisor, which means you need to listen and then engage in that relevant, authentic way. And so if you don't engage with those bites, then they're meaningless. But the thing is to do that at scale in today's world, is nearly impossible because we are all over-connected and over-communicated. Vala has 200,000 connections on Twitter. And how do you, Vala, manage that? Right? It's hard. You need, you need help, <laughs> right? Honestly, it's like pouring what water on a wet sponge. Eventually, it just sort of all blows over. So we need tools yeah. that help us to build those connections that give us the context and insights we need to engage because I'll bet there's people that you meet that come up to you at Dreamforce or whatever, and you may recognize their face, but you don't remember the last time you spoke to them or what their business is about or, or what, their, what their background is. But imagine if there was some artificial intelligent thing that essentially gave you the key information you needed in order for you to be human with that person. Because that's what we all need to do with the people we connect with is to take that moment and make that connection because I think that's all we leave this planet with is the moment that we're truly present with another human being. And when you are present with somebody, ideally you're listening to them and you're learning about them and you find some way to add value. But ultimately, before you build that connection, you need to do your homework. Yes. And in the old days, we, we did that by going to somebody's office and looking at their walls. Today, <laughs> we Google them. Tomorrow, we might blank them but I'm not going to say the word. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when, when we think about, when we think about the, the other shift that we see talking about a lot is really yeah. tying back CRM to personal productivity tools like Office 365 or Google Apps. Um, what's the advantage? What are we trying to do here? Uh, what are you trying to automate? Is there an element of AI behind all this? Well, I, I think you really get got to get down to what is CRM. People say that CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management. I think that's just a crock because CRM, Customer Relationship Management means relationships. Really, CRM stands for Customer Reporting Management because it's plumbing. It is a machine that tracks what your salesperson did, who they did it with, and what the possibility of outcome will be. That's not a relationships. Relationships happen in the place they have communications. And in the old days, that's contacts, email, and calendar. Today, it's social and other means. And CRM isn't really aware of these things, and typically. And so I believe the reason why there's 225 million global businesses and less than 1% use any CRM is because most people live in their inbox and now are more social. And that most CRMs, you work for them, and you have to go to them to work for them. You Google somebody, you log what you know, log what you did, and you have to go to them to use them. And we all live in Office 365 or G Suite today. So most of your contacts and conversations are sitting over here, yet we work in the CRM. And that's why I think 
that serum's broken today. But back in the day, when I created this thing called Goldmine, which I'm not affiliated with anymore, so I'll talk about, Goldmine was a blend of Outlook and Salesforce. So basically, it was serum and contact management combined, and I think that's where we're going. I think where we're going is CRMs that work for you by building themselves from the data that's already in and around your business and not just your email and contact stuff, it's your sales, marketing, customer service, accounting, and social media apps because right now there's five islands of information in your company, six if you count email, because all these are separate systems and they don't really talk to each other so you don't have a relationship system or record in a business, which means there isn't a shared contact database in most companies because Office 365 and G Suite have separate contact databases for every team member and email and calendar aren't connected to the contacts, so you don't have context, history of interaction, and you don't have insights. Who are they and what are they about? And that's what I think we all need is that relationship system that builds itself from the underlying operating system of your business, which is G Suite or, or, or Office 365 today. Got it, got it. John, your thoughts about account-based marketing. It's certainly uh, uh, an, uh, one of the more prominent topics that I, I hear when I engage with CMOs and marketing leaders. What are your thoughts about account-based marketing? And also mobile marketing seems to be a, another area of growth that has uh, you know, folks building their investment thesis on making sure that whatever campaigns across whatever channels is a mobile first and in some instances mobile only model. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I love all the acronyms, right? Uh, Account-based marketing, SDR, all these different things. But if you go outside of the tech Kool-Aid drinking coast to the rest of the world, right? Because we all we all live in the tech Kool-Aid drinking coast, where there's 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 market automation. Uh, let's say Mailchimp to Marketo, CRM. Let's say Nimble to Salesforce. Um, there's sales intelligence, um, you know, inside view, LinkedIn sales navigator or nimble. Uh, and there's uh, sales enablement, email tracking. Yes, we're a tad up sales off. If you think about all those different tools that you need to buy in order to automate the sales and marketing technology tech stack, each of these tools is 50 to $150 per rep per month. And they don't even talk to each other. And then you got to hire somebody for 50 and $100,000 a year to run all that stuff. And most of the people outside of the tech Kool-Aid drinking coast don't know what I'm talking about. They don't know what those acronyms are, Bala. And so what I'm doing is I'm talking to the rest of the world out there that maybe doesn't know that account-based marketing means targeting specific accounts and blending sales and marketing in order to have them cohesively work together on those accounts. And I do believe in that strategy. So I'm going to share a story with you. So... We recently landed a deal where Microsoft is bundling Nimble with 50 million Outlook mobile handsets and 100 million Office 365 users, this new freemium add-in to uh, Office that delivers insights. How did we get that deal done? Well, they asked me to come and speak at uh, WPC 16, which is their conference. I imported a Twitter list of the previous year's influencers and I put them into this thing called Nimble, and I did a one-to-one -one outreach of 200 of the people that matched the criteria out of the 4,000 and generated 50% uh, open rate in 25 meetings, which resulted in a series of conversations across the entire organization where now Nimble is probably the most engaged ISV at Microsoft today, and they just signed a resale agreement where they're reselling Nimble with Office 365 through their bars. How did we get that done? Account-based marketing. And we didn't just go after a sales rep. We went after executives at the top, product managers in the middle, and then the people that manage the different parts of their business cycles 
But to get that done, you don't call, pick up the phone and call those people. You walk in the digital footprint, you add value to the conversations, you build connections, you listen, you learn, and then you get introductions to other people, and that takes a team of people working cohesively together. And what I'm gonna say is that typically a CRM isn't designed for that. What you need is a relationship manager that incorporates social and email that allows you to get somebody's background and engage with them on whatever channel is most effective in order to make it so that you're already trusted before you ever reach out. And Vala, you're the expert at this. You do this every day. And so if you want to learn how to do effective outreach at scale, Vala is God. <laughs> I, I agree. No, no. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> that is like in, in fact, Vala, I do a I do a social selling sort of presentation on how a business, the brand of a business, is made on the promises it makes and the experiences that it delivers. If you can align the two, you can do incredible things. But that experience is delivered in much case through the customer facing business team members, and you need to enable them to build their brand, which builds the company brand. And you are my example. I use on how you can do that because if you can enable your entire team to become be like Vala, right? Be like Mike, be like Vala. If you can enable your entire team to do that, you can do amazing things. And Ray, you're doing that today with Alan and, and Hogan Mill and all and the rest of your team where you're helping them to build their brand, which then in turn builds your company brand as well. So you guys are both examples of what I think a business needs to be doing today. I don't know. We're just hacking it until the uh, robots take over. So real, real quick question here. What, what does the shift to AI mean for you and, and what, what's about to happen? So are well, the robots going to win? Are we still in the matrix, which we were talking about earlier? Or, you know, what's, what's going on here? You know, I, I'm kind of aligned with Mark on this. Is I, I truly don't believe that AI has gotten to that sort of autonomous thing where they can take over, that I think they could suggest stuff to us and, uh, and help us and assist us. I do believe that the voice stuff is amazing. Now, when I can call a company up and not have to sit through talking to a human where the voice can actually properly take care of things, that's amazing. But I truly believe that the more digital we get, the more human we need to be. Uh, shout out to Brian Kramer. And that, and that for you to stand out from the crowd today, you need to apply that human aspect to your company. But in, because we are also overconnected, overcommunicated, we need help with that because stuff fall through the crack. Imagine if you had something that looked at all your email, all your social signals, applied business intelligence on that person in their company, and then surfaced the most important signals to you that you can then do that human thing. So we all need that assistance, but I don't think it's just applicable to sales. I think that every person at a business is in sales and marketing and in support and in product, and that we all need to be on that wall engaging effectively as a team. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with CRM is it's used for prospects and customers, for sales and marketing. But ultimately, everybody in the customer participates in the conversation with the people around your business. And I call it the sustainable garden around your business because at Nimble, we connect with editors, analysts, bloggers, influencers, third-party developers, investors, advisors, and prospects and customers, and everybody on our team participates in that. And the problem in most companies is they have separate platforms for each of those departments. They don't talk to each other, and there's no one system of record of relationship for a business, and I think that's where we're going. 
is that universal relationship system of record that automatically builds itself and then works with you everywhere you work. Because if I am in Twitter, if I am in my serum, if I am in Outlook, if I am on a Forbes article, I want to know who Vala is. I want to know if anybody on my team knows him. And I want to walk into your digital footprint and I want to be able to connect in whatever channel I can. And that, I think, is not necessarily AI. It's just more effective bringing these things together. AI is coming. Not quite there yet. We are live here um, with John Ferrar, CEO at Nimble. You can follow him at John underscore F-E-R-R-A-R-A. -R -A. Um, more importantly, you can get some very interesting pictures of some good food, some good trips that are going on right now between New York and Philly. So thanks for being on the show, and uh, thanks for being live from wherever you are. I think it's Philly, right? Yeah, Philly. Uh, Ray, Vala, always a pleasure to connect with you both. Thank you for being dear friends and supporting my entrepreneurial journey. Thank you, John. Thank hey, take you so care. much. Bye-bye. Boy, John dropped a lot of science on us in that 20 minutes, right? <laughs> and he was very kind. Thank you so much for your compliments. And, uh, uh, you know, you're uh, coming from a, one of the most social CEOs, that, that means a lot. And um, oh, great. So great. we have uh, what I call the cleanup hitter spot. And we bring uh, our final thought leader influencer to hit a grand slam. In this case, we have a first ballot Hall of Fame into Disrupt TV. Uh, as a multiple guest appearance, uh, Holger Mueller, Vice President and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. Holger's research coverage includes Next Generation Apps. Right, and the intro, Vada. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, I have to. You, uh, I, you're so accomplished. I mean, Mark and John were so good. There's Everything's shiny and pristine. I can only make it worse. I'll ruin the show. <laughs> We gotta do the intro. Follow Holger on Twitter at H O L G E R M U. And uh, okay, so Holger, I saw the Twitter stream. You were actively engaged with our first two guests. What are your thoughts uh, in terms of influencer marketing, AI, and what you heard uh, with our first two guests? No, I, I think it's great because um, if you want to do business, it's all about reaching more people, and reaching more people has never been as cheap as it is today. And you can automate that, right? You don't have to do have people folding in flyers into envelopes to send them out, writing my hand on there, right? Uh, whoever was the first catalog in the US Spiegel or something, right? So, so this is why marketing is so important. But then you have to close that deal at scale, right? That's where John comes in, right? You can find the gold mine, pun intended. So I think it's going down the supply chain. So now if I was a supply chain guy, how to fulfill all that, right? You would have covered it all, right? Unfortunately, not my coverage area so much, but uh, great, great thoughts from both of them. And uh, like I said, nothing to clean up. <laughs> nothing to clean up. But let me, let me ask. So you, 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 you collaborate and you work with chief human resource officers. Yep. And as folks that are responsible for, you know, the most important asset in any, in any business, the, the talent, and you hear about automation and robotics and autonomous. What are the sense in terms of CHROs? What are we going to hear at the SHRM conference that's coming up in terms of leveraging technologies and data science like AI and chatbots in terms of how we can, you know, we often get the Gallup results that say, you know, 70% of, uh, you know, U.S. employees are completely disengaged uh, and, 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 and they're not fully committed in this, that, and the other. What are CHROs thinking about in terms of leveraging advanced technologies to improve, let's say, employee engagement? Uh, I'm the wrong guy to speak about engagement because I think it's a silly argument. <laughs> <laughs> you never hear, my salespeople are not engaged. You never hear this. Or you say, change the compensation plan. 
<laughs> Have you ever heard my marketing people are not engaged? No. Give them the tools, give them the budget, right? It goes away, right? You never hear my call center people are not engaged. Fire them, right? So <laughs> that, that's the reality. All this engagement talk only happens because people have been removed too far from the value creation in the enterprise. If I'm right away talking to a customer, making a difference for the customer, creating a product which I know goes to the customer, I'm not so far away that I can become disengaged, right? I see the value creation every day. So the conversation I tell people leaders to have is you have to reorganize your enterprise into more nimble, smaller teams. Sorry, pun intended, John. And <laughs> not sure why that came to my mind right now. Some of funny how this computer works, right? And, and, and bring people closer to the value creation. That's, that's the real thing people leaders should be talking about because people are the biggest expense. And the problem overall of the industry is that the traditional HR systems have failed uh, the managers, the people, the people leaders in the enterprise because of too many old technology, because of all too many processes, not helping them really to do their job better and make their job better. That's really the challenge. Now, that's one of the uh, big shifts that people are seeing. But hey, I, you know, talking about conferences, talking about HR, you know, looking at your conference schedule, you you may have actually done more trips than I did last year. I, I don't know, miles, but it's pretty crazy. You just yeah. came back from the HireVue digital disruption event. Tell us what's going on at HireVue. What's hot? I brought props. Can you see this here? This camera is so old that I don't even dare to open it, right? So. As an analogy for higher view, right? This is a Casio from 2000, okay? Breakthrough technology because it was the first camera at the time to have a hard disk in there. And the hard disk had one gigabyte in there. And why am I showing it to you guys? Because higher view started back then doing video interviews of people. And this baby actually was super great technology because they were sending around webcams to plug in and had to help people to figure out how the USB support worked, if USB was even around there, right? That's how long they're in business. And what I, I, I admire about HireVue is that they stayed in business across all this technology changeover that are now using modern tools around machine learning to understand what is happening in a video interview, cutting down the time of interviewing people. Wow. And uh, five minutes of video interview creates 20,000 data points, right? Uh, how I hold my head, how I smile, am I authentic to a question? Wow. That's the interesting thing. And the data science behind is very interesting because what they figured out only three years ago, it's not really about video capturing that. They figured out it's about asking the right question. So what usually is an assessment, boring questionnaire you get out to fill out as a, as a person to be hired as a candidate, they can condense that with smart work to a few significant questions where you then have the additional data points of video. So they can make very strong recommendations who to hire, back to what we said before, how far are we in machine learning, predictive analytics, or AI, right? So that is what me as a manager, if I'm, if I'm running, say, uh, any franchise fast food store, and I have to hire two people, right? While people are screwing up in the front office and have to look the one I hired last week, I have to figure out who's the best candidate. But I don't have time to interview somebody coming in and mock the other guys, right? So video, this synchronized takes a synchronicity but, but, way. But, but it's always the candidate's girlfriend's younger brother. Younger <laughs> brothers, yeah, always good, yeah. And they have the family help out, right? That's a, that's a common concept in some restaurant uh, type of chains that it's a family operation, right? <laughs> so no. what, are the, what are the outcomes that they see now they're, that they're using video and the 20,000 data points? Is, is there better retention, better you know, upward mobility in terms of career path of the candidates? What, 
the, the, their customers are, of course, thrilled by the efficiency to get more done finding the right candidates, right? What, what they're lacking, because um, that's the whole problem of HR, it's so many systems in HR, right? They don't have access to performance data, right? I need, need to know how good was that hire really. Yes, it was best to hire right now, but if I don't get the performance data from a longitudinal perspective, I don't know where to go. And that's where all of HR breaks down right at the moment, because performance management still is broken, which comes back to the engagement question you had before. Software vendors like to, and I'm guilty too, right? I spent 25 years building software, right? Software vendors like to say software figures out everything, solves every problem. But there's still this inherent problem in humans that I don't want to have a negative conversation with you, right? Where I try to coach you on something, right? We don't like that. We don't like to get rated. We don't want to rate people. We don't want to have potentially unpleasant conversations, which at the end of the day, really good people leadership boils down to. Makes sense. Makes wow. Sense. No, that's good. Now, you're also going in on like the Cloud Foundry Summit. There are a lot of big announcements coming out of that event. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about what's going on and why is Cloud Foundry important to people? I, I was going to wear this shirt for swag, but I couldn't find this voucher to get it in the list. So all I brought you is a cheap sticker. <laughs> Yeah, the plus for Cloud Foundry. Isn't there a T-shirt that so, says that? <laughs> he's got his Golden State Warriors shirt, right? Yeah, finally, you notice, Vala. Finally, you know the India. <laughs> like, yeah, go Warriors. We're right? always, you know, fond of champions. I love that. I love that. No, <laughs> he's not. He's not begging for Celtics courtside tickets. It's basically what's going on here. I saw my first Warriors game in '95. That is awesome. That's back when they were NBA for so cheap. Five dollars for lower ring seating against great teams. Is anybody gonna dethrone this team in the next couple of years? They look like they're gonna be repeat champions for some time. It depends uh, who stays there, right? I mean, we Injuries. saw they needed Kevin yeah. Durant to make it work, right? Yeah. And then it's injuries, right? Injuries. If we, we were lucky that this was a finals where all the best players were playing, right? right. So seldom, right? So it's an attrition game. I like how they try to get better. I loved how LeBron shed 20 pounds or something, right? He looked like a different LeBron. We're trying to reinvent things and do things better, but it's going to be an attrition game, and we'll see who the Cavaliers get or uh, who's going to get the Moribund Eastern Conference to play good basketball again, right? Who wants to see this? Oh! oh. <laughs> we just lost all our Celtics viewers. All right. We, we, we did. We did. Boston yesterday. But talking about the contact thing that John talked about, right? The social thing is still broken, right? I'm in Boston yesterday. Two. You were in Boston yesterday? In Boston. He was in Boston. Yes, I, I, I thought, okay, I'm not going to try to get finally some real-world meeting with Yuvala because I landed on a red-eye. This oh. was delayed by United because there was no water on the plane. Have you heard this? No water on the plane? <laughs> That's a new one, okay? So I, I landed at 7.30 and had to leave at 4, right? But if I would have known before that you have an event there, I mean, I would have rebooked my flight to the later flight. But that's, that's how social is broken, right? You know, this is how crazy it was. The people he was meeting with, I saw at the lounge. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because there's only so many lounges and so few airports, right? So you want to do the same And, and who would have known I rebooked on Lufthansa? Yeah. You know, all possible places. I mean, <laughs> so you're giving the props why I was in Boston, right? So here's, here's a quiz for you. It's really bad, I know. How does it look? What is this? What is this? Friday afternoon? Shamu? <laughs> yeah, you're right, right. Sorry. So my, my youngest daughter has over 250 stuffed animals. I couldn't find the one which looks like a fish named Wanda. And Wanda is the <laughs> assistant of Unit 4, which was the end of the summit I was at yesterday, right? So I know this was far-fetched. This was my fourth event. I was totally out of funds and out of time to find the right exotic fish which looked like the fish. <laughs> but the exciting thing about Wanda, talking about AI, is right that this 
European, who would have thought that? Netherlands-based company managed to build um, the first digital assistant in ERP product on Microsoft technology faster than Microsoft themselves. Wow. And they have this whole vision of a people-driven architecture of self-driving ERP taking away all the low-value repetitive tasks which should be automated and augmenting, like we said before, John said that augmenting humanity by having humans the chance to really focus on what they do. And the really cool thing is they started with that architecture two years ago and they're probably sitting on the most modern ERP architecture out there and their main ERP product is going to be on that by the end of the year. And they have some very interesting acquisition-based pieces and professional services automation in um, uh, higher education where they bought a company called Prevero over here and last but not least about an interesting in-memory German-based company called Prevero which can do, can do from the performance management side. So really interesting company to look at and by the way 50% uh, owner of Financial Force which is much more familiar to people. Right? So look at the boring ERP place of doing some very interesting things. <laughs> That's awesome. Holger, what are you going to mainly focus the next 12 months, your, your research focus well, in terms I, of technology? I probably need to write more, but um, my overall theme is enterprise acceleration, right? How can companies become faster? Right? I have to it, be more acceleration in terms of what? New business model innovation, product innovation? Like, what, what do you mean by acceleration? No, I let other people do this, right? How does a company respond? We decide we have to change the digital model, the business model. How can we move faster towards it? What does it take? Right? And it takes my research areas, it takes people, right? Biggest expense you have, biggest skill challenge you have, biggest engagement problems you have, and it takes software. Because frankly, the software that we have right now, coming from all the usual suspects, I'm not going to name them right now, it's all based on optimizing on last century's best practices where IT computing was limited, right? Where storage costs something, right? We, we still build relational databases, which where I'm not going to quiz you, invented to save disk space, right? This space for watching us for the rest of our digital exhaust of our lives is it's cheaper than watching us, right? So this space doesn't cost anything. And then here comes the next prop, right? Who is this? <laughs> I had him on the show before, guys. Come on. I don't know. Elephant from John Cutting's son, right? This is the revolution, guys. And this is why, because I was a Tortenberg, so I'm going to use a neutral elephant, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to use the duck cutting one, right? But still, it's Hadoop, and Hortonworks uses Hadoop too, right? And that's the revolution which we're seeing on the big data space. And for the first time, you can store all the information that you want without knowing how to analyze it, right? And that's what powers AI, which we can get to next. So, Hortonworks had a big event this week too with uh, digital work, something our friends, colleagues, uh, Doug Henschen and Chris Kanaruk has wrote about this. And they had a big partnership with IBM, just as Monday news, right? Where I was on Monday. Wow. wow. So, Holger, if you ever decide to... Honestly, too, because I'm in big partnership, it's, it's really boring on the past side to a certain point because Cloud Foundry really has won this. There's only one company holding out not having fully officially endorsed it. The second last one was Microsoft, who's now fully endorsed Cloud Foundry as a gold sponsor of the foundation. And you can run Cloud Foundry-based applications across all the major cloud infrastructures. The only one missing is Oracle right now, and, and probably they're going to get in the fold, too. So. I just received uh, breaking news from Guinness. You have the most props ever in a 20-minute segment on any live video stream ever. You guys, right? So what shirt am I wearing under the Warriors shirt here? What is oh! Time? What's my soccer team? <laughs> Come on. Why do I wear red and black shoes? Come on. Ray, come on. I am the least proficient <laughs> in football. <laughs> AC Milan. Come on, guys. Yes. You know Real Madrid, right? 
The company who has won the most other European title is AC Milan. And they're coming back, they have new Chinese owners, they're spending like drunken sailors, right? So <laughs> this is why I wear, I, you only hear in Disrupt TV, it's not a secret if it's said here, this is why I wear red and black shoes. It has nothing to do with any vendors who have red colors or so. I always wondered that, I always wondered that. So are you sad with John Luigi going away, or what's the deal? Oh, you've been studying up, excellent. Yeah, but <laughs> the most exciting goalie uh, that has been Italian, maybe European soccer, 17 years old, first starting goalie in the Serie A, first national goalie, and he might be going away because those Chinese owners don't know how important goalies are next year when his contract expires. So back to the question of the NBA, which you can relate to, right? It's all about keeping people together. But if you want to see an exciting goalie, Google Gianluigi Donnarumma, totally unfriendly name, uh, amazing, amazing young goalie who likes to jump and fly. So if you want to see great saves, uh, look for him. He's going to be, he's going to be fun. that name with you next time when I'm on Disrupt TV. Did you play football? Did you play? Uh, only, only in the street. I'm a person who plays with my hands. Volleyball is my passion. If you analyze my Twitter stream, you see mostly when I cover beach volleyball events. <laughs> uh, that's that's really my passion. That's awesome. Well, now you know why you're uh, first ballot Hall of Fame at Disrupt TV. And by the way, if any one of us are ever absent, I would highly recommend you as a co-host. So let's put that out there. You're terrific. Terrific. Might, ha might happen sooner than you think. Given <laughs> <laughs> my flight schedule, you never know. <laughs> so, not helping internet connection and so on. Yeah. So. Um, Oh my God. Well, hey, we have been following with Holger Mueller, Vice President, Principal Asset Constellation Research. You can follow him at H-O-L-G-E-R-M-U for interesting tweets, for travel around the world. He's probably got more trips at Constellation than anybody else I know, and uh, definitely someone that knows enterprise software in and out. Thanks for being on the show, Holger. Thank Thanks you, Holger. Thank you. I love the props. I love uh, every time <laughs> he comes on. He's uh, He's not only one of the smartest people that we both know, but just incredibly personable and generous. So, just great karma. Uh, it's awesome. I, I, Clients I, love him. Clients love him. It's just amazing. Yeah, I don't know anybody that doesn't respect and, and love Holder. So, and now I know why he wears red and black. So that was because he always has the coolest sneakers at your events and uh, bright red, black. And I just didn't know why. Uh, but anyway, so uh, next week uh, we have an amazing show. We have Mike Kale the chief technology officer at Seabrook, who's gonna, he's one of the top security uh, experts in the world and a, uh, an, an incredible former CIO, and he's gonna join us. We have Jim Rutt, CIO from Dana Foundation, and our final guest is Tim Eads, CEO of uh, VRMore. So uh, we've got a CTO, a CIO, and a CEO. Uh, and what are we talking about that's so hot these days? What's that? <laughs> what are we talking about that's so hot these days? Cybersecurity. Absolutely. Right? That is the hot topic for next week. So it's amazing. Ray, you were in Paris. You were in Boston yesterday. You were in London the day before that. So safe travels. And thank you, everyone. Uh, as Ray always says, if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. And hey, thanks. Is, welcome to Paris. <laughs> welcome to Paris. Look at that. Oh, we should have started with that view. Thank you so much. And uh, talk, to you, talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. All for right. See you soon, everyone.